I am, um, if you look at your outline for a moment, yeah, get it going and then click it to the title slide and that'll help them, that'll help them out there. <laughs> whoop, whoop, there you go. Well, if you see there today, I'm going to encourage you to be a nonconformist. That's what I'm going to encourage you to do today. Thanks, Scott. And um, that makes some of you nervous that I'm going to ask you to be a nonconformist because you don't want to stand out. You have always been quite comfortable as a conformist and just blending in with everyone else. And why change now? You know, so you're just a little bit nervous. Now, some of you like the idea of being a nonconformist, and the fact that I'm asking you to be a nonconformist appeals to you, but it also confuses you just a little bit because right now you're wondering if following the encouragement to be a nonconformist will really make you a conformist. So now you don't know if resisting the encouragement to be a nonconformist is conforming or if, if, con, if conforming to the request is nonconforming and a nonconformist. Now, before you try to figure all of that out, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way in which you guide us. It is in many ways wide and varied, and in many ways it is all the same. Now, what we need is you to uh, clarify our thinking, that our thinking might be yours, that we might think godly thoughts, biblical thoughts, that we might think after your heart today. As we look into your word, we're thankful for it. When we think about it, we just, as the guys were just playing that ancient words, it just reminded me once again of what a gift we have in your word and in your truth. And what a responsibility now to be able to open that up and share with folks what you have laid on my heart. And I pray that it would click with their hearts because of you, not because of me. So use this time together to continue um, your transforming work in us for the glory of Christ, in whose name we gather and really in whose name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12, so let me encourage you to turn there. Romans chapter 12, I'm going to start with the beginning of it. As I was working on this sermon, I realized, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure of this, I'm going to have to, I have to go back through my files to make positive, but I'm pretty sure in the um, 37 years I've been a pastor, I have never preached through the book of Romans. And, you know, those of you who are pastors or were pastors are thinking, what's wrong with you? Um, I did, and I was thinking as I was working on this sermon, man, I really need to preach through the book of Romans. Uh, God has not called that one up in front of me yet. In fact, this morning in Sunday school, he just confirmed um, kind of the way I thought we would be heading, uh, you know, in January. And he just kind of confirmed that. And it's not Romans. Uh, but anyway, we are in it today. Romans chapter 12. This is the last Sunday of our Advent series. Uh, Advent is technically four, the four Sundays before Christmas. That is, you know, according to the church calendar, somebody made that up somewhere and we all call it the church calendar now. But according to that, it's those four Sundays just before Christmas. Um, this Advent series that we've been doing, I do like I normally do. And I just started the day after the Sunday after Thanksgiving. So we had five Sundays before Christmas that we were focusing on, on this Advent series. And uh, this week makes number six. Um, I'm a nonconformist. Now, some of you have already known that about me. Um, but what I want to start with is a warning to us. Um, and here's the warning. Don't choose to be a nonconformist simply to be obstinate. Uh, 
That's not a good reason. Don't do it simply to be different. Again, not a good reason. Don't do it simply to be your own person. I'm going to be my own person. I'm not going to be like everybody else. I'm going to be as nonconformist. And don't do it simply to be nonconforming. None, all of these are wrong reasons. All of these are wrong reasons really to be a nonconformist. Uh, that's, you know, that, that, that's, that's not it at all. Now, I think I've chosen every one of these somewhere along the way, you know, in my life. And, um, sometimes for a season, sometimes for a moment, and sometimes just to tick somebody off. Um, you know, and you pray for Jenny because she's probably received the brunt of those times where I've done it just to be obstinate. Um, not my intent, my love. Okay, sometimes it was my intent because I've told her that before, not my intent. She said, yes, it was. Um, and, and, and she was right. You know, sometimes I'm just looking to be obstinate, but uh, so are you. You know, so are you. So just, uh, you know, uh, we're all kind of in the same boat here. Now, uh, people, we're too often motivated by, by some of these reasons, and it's not good. The goal and the motivation is not to be obstinate. It's not just to be different or be my own person. It's not to be non-conforming. The whole, the whole goal, you know, well, what we're talking about is embracing transforming change, and that whole goal is to be biblical. That's what we want to do. When we're talking, and this is what we're looking at today, embracing transforming change, and the whole goal is to be biblical, that we would be biblical in what we do and including how we think and how we act. Uh, Let's look. I think you're going to see this. Uh, The first eight verses. I'm going to read the first eight verses of Romans chapter 12. So follow along. Um, Again, I'm reading from the uh, Holman Christian Standard. It says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God... I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, then use it according to the standard of one's faith. If service, in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving, give generously. Leading, with diligence. Showing mercy, with cheerfulness. Now, um, I'm going to stop there for the for the message, really. But here's what I want you to do. You know, I like it if you leave your Bibles open and you can follow along and see what I'm saying. It really comes from the Bible because that's important. But let me encourage you to put a marker here, just you know, in your haste, if you happen to close your Bible, because we're going to open it back up to this passage again at uh, at the end of the message, and I want you to be able to find it quickly. Um, so you know, do that. Just stick a marker in it or leave it open. Uh, encourage you to do both. Now, the words of this chapter, you see, he starts out with therefore, you know, and they're, they're based on what came before. What came before is he was looking at the, and he says right there, by the mercies of God, he was looking at the mercy and the love of God and providing forgiveness for our sins through Christ. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God is part of what he said before, you know, but he's also said that yeah, he's he's also we have life because of Christ, you know, in him, in him is where life comes from. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but God gives us life in Christ. 
You know, the, the whole reality of what is ours in a relationship with Christ. Uh, and this is what he's, what he's explained before this. And so he comes here and he says, therefore, now he starts out with, he said, Paul says, you know, I urge you to live this way. I am urging you, he says. Now the word translated as urge, some of the translations say appeal, some say beseech. Literally, the word means to call to one side. He says, I'm calling you to my side in this. You know, I, I want you to be there. It has the force really of, of a begging entreaty. More than just, I'm asking you, but in a sense, I'm, I'm begging you to do this is what he's saying. It's significantly more, significantly more than a casual request. He's not just saying, if you have time, do this. If this fits into your life, do this. This isn't what he's saying. What he's saying is, I'm calling you, I'm calling you to join me in living this way. I'm calling you to join me in being this. You know, this is what we have to do. And we're urged, we're called, he says, to present our bodies. What this is, it's a call of consecration to God. He's calling us to consecrate ourselves to God. This should be a natural response to God working in our life. Based on the mercies of God, therefore, based on the mercies of God, he says, I'm urging you, I'm calling you to, you know, that this is, this is, you know, the, the way that it, that it should be that natural response based on the mercies of God. The natural response should be that we are consecrated to Him. Knowing all that God has done for us, knowing, you know, God's mercy should make it easier for us to present our, ourselves to Him totally, you know, totally to Him, that we should be able to do that. Why? Because we know we can, we can trust Him for one thing. You've seen that trust fall thing before, and I'm not going to do it, you know, but not that I don't trust you, but you know, see, it, that, that whole trust fall thing where, you know, you just have something and they fall backwards and, and the people are going to catch them, you know, and that's great. I've also seen them where the people are waiting behind them to catch them and they fall forward, you know, see, because we don't always, we don't always, we don't always get it, you know, but this whole thing based on who God is, you know, he's going to get it right. You know, you can trust him. You, you know that no matter what happens, you know, he's the one, he's the one that, that you can run to. He is, you know, totally trustworthy. We can consecrate ourselves to him. And to give them, to give your bodies as a living sacrifice, it brings a, a, a picture of something that is wholly and totally given over to God. A sacrifice, when they would burn a sacrifice, that was their, their picture to them in living color, that this was totally given over to God, that everything there was given to God. When Samuel was dedicated in the temple, his parents totally gave him over over to the priests. You know, and he was given there that ownership. The, the, the picture here is ownership is completely given over to God. That there is there we we don't keep any strings attached. We don't you know we don't have anything that we're going to pull it back. This is a call for us to wholly and completely give our body over to God for his use. Now, you know, this means in our living. So in our living, what it means is we don't, we, we don't do anything that is not in harmony with God's character. We don't do anything that is not in harmony with his being. We don't do anything that is not in harmony with his goals. See, everything we do is in harmony then with his character. It's in harmony with his being. It's in harmony with his goals. Everything we do needs to be in harmony with God. This is the picture that he gives to us here. And he says, you do this in worship. You do this as worship. 
What he's saying is you live this way in worship to God. This is the way you live, he says, and living that way. As you live that way, you are living that way in worship to God. Peter puts it this way. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Quit living the way you lived before you knew Christ. Quit living the way, quit living as if you don't know him. He says, but as the one who called you is holy, so you're to be holy in all your conduct. You see, in all your conduct, in the way you live, in the way you conduct yourselves, you are to be holy because it's written, be holy because I am holy. Because God is holy and he's the one. We're not conformed. We, we don't live. We don't be that nonconformist. Don't conform to the way you, though, that you lived before you knew Christ. Before you had a relationship to him. Don't live that way. He's saying instead what you do is you give yourself over to God. You be holy in all your conduct. All of your conduct is to be an example of holiness in keeping with God's character and who God is. Embracing transforming change is a matter of living in all your conduct to be holy as he is holy. No exceptions. No timeouts, no excuses. There's no excuse for not doing it. He's called us to it and he enables us to do it. Doesn't mean it's always easy. What it means is it's always necessary. It means it's always the best way. It means it's always the choice that honors him. Verse 2 there in Romans, in Romans 12, here's the call to be that nonconformist. Do not be conformed. Be a nonconformist. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may discern what is the good, pleasing, perfect will of God. You present your bodies as a living sacrifice, choosing to live totally in line with God's character, being, and goals. You know, choosing actions in line with being holy as he is holy. You know, and and that means that our actions are from God, not conforming to this age, not conforming to the times in which we live. The times in which we live do not set the agenda for how we behave. God sets that agenda. Conformed, the word conformed here, it's giving in to an outward pressure. You know, we just sang that song, you know, about asking God to mold us, make us. Here's, this is a, this is a picture of, of conformed, you know, that you're molding, you're making things. If you were reading the, uh, Advent devotional, uh, one of the, one of the devotions that I wrote talked about our kids, our, our grandchildren playing with Play-Doh. And they constantly, mold that stuff into different things and hammer it into a mold, you know, and it takes on the shape of the mold or they put it, push it into whatever shape they want or they run it through these machines and it comes out with whatever shape is there. You know, that's, that's the picture here, you know, where it talks about conform. That's, that's not what we want. I like the way the Phillips translation puts it. J.B. Phillips, he translates the verse this way. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within 
so that you may prove in practice. You see that living out that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, moves toward the goal of true maturity. Conformed has a temporary capacity to it. If you're conformed by this age, it's a, it's a temporary, it's a temporary capacity. Because if you were conformed by the age that you grew up in as a teenager, would be much different than conformed by this age now. This age you're in now will be much different conformed than what's coming. I hate to think of what's coming sometimes. Uh, considering where we came from and where we are, you know, we don't seem to be going in a good direction here. You know, because conformed is, I, I just, I received a postcard to this pastor's uh, conference at a, what I would classify as a liberal seminary. And one of the things they're going to do there is instruct us on, on um, how we, how we're too mean um, in standing against some sin. Now, I will agree that sometimes we are too mean in the way we stand against some sin. There's no question in my mind about that. You know, God God doesn't call us. God doesn't call us to uh, you know to put people down and uh, to hate people. We're never called. We are never called to that. Um, but God also doesn't call me to conform to what our world thinks is acceptable behavior. God's very clear here. Don't be conformed by this age. The question on what's acceptable behavior doesn't come to me from the world and what the world finds to be okay now. It comes to me from God and his word. You know, and that's what needs to stand there. You know, conformed is, is malleable. It gives into the pressure, you know, of the outside pressure there. Now, the verse continues. It tells us how to avoid being conformed by this age. Notice what it says. It says that's by being transformed by God. Transformed. Let God remold you from within. From within. There's the picture. It's an inner reality. You know, being transformed is an inner reality that makes itself known in an outward manifestation. Yes, you can see it, but it's because, you know, that, that inward, that, that inward change that has come there just, just comes out. You know, it's, it's transformed. It's to change into another form. This is the word that we get metamorphosis from. You know, metamorphosis is the change that a caterpillar goes through to become a butterfly. It goes in a caterpillar, you know, and it's in, in, in that cocoon and it comes out a, a totally different, a totally different looking creature and being it, it, it is, but it isn't, you see, because it's, well, it's not that caterpillar, but it's, you know, it's, it is, it is, but you see, it's transformed. It's changed. It's, it's totally different. It's the word really, you know, and we sometimes think of this as an instantaneous thing. It, it, and, and while the change of God within us is an instantaneous thing, this being transformed, you know, it's a process. And the word even indicates it's a process. It's a process that works out over time. In Second Corinthians, Paul's writing, he says, We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being 
transformed. We are being, it is something that is happening, something that is ongoing, something that is continuing. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, from the beginning to the end, from glory to glory, from the beginning to the end. This is from the Lord, who's the Spirit. It's God changing and transforming us and that we we continue to be transformed as he continues to unfold and unveil himself before us and we continue to be more and more what God has called us to be. I hope you're a better Christian now than you were five years ago. I hope you more reflect God's glory than you did last year. I hope next year you are going to reflect his glory even more than you are now. You see, it's that continual growing thing that's happening there. And you avoid being conformed to this age and you gain help in presenting yourself in, in you know, presenting your living to God as a living sacrifice by renewing your mind, he says. Now, renewing your mind is not done by any mysterious humming or chanting. You know, it's not, oh, and it's not repeating the same thing, you know, over and over and over again. The verse tells us here, we renew our minds. Notice what it says. So we're able to discern God's will. You renew your mind so you're able to discern God's will. That's what it says there. I'm just, I'm just believing it because that's what it says there. But it's not mysterious. It's not a nebulous thing. God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect, it says. In Psalm, uh, Psalm 19, it says, The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. In Nehemiah, he says, You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke to them from heaven. You gave them impartial ordinances, reliable instruction, and good statutes and commands. Psalm 119, Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. Romans chapter 7 says, So then the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and just and good. Romans 7 is where Paul is wrestling and he says, I know what I should do and I'm struggling and sometimes I do what I don't want to do, dude. You know, so you know, there's a paraphrase. And you know, that it's, it's, and I, I know what I want to do and boy, and I find myself doing what I don't want to do. Oh, wretched man I am who is going to save me from this. Who is going to, and he says, praise God that he does, that he does. You know, the law is holy. The law is holy. The commandment is holy and just and good. Be what? Holy. Because I am holy. The law is holy. You renew your mind by regularly and consistently getting into and following God's word. You see, you are transformed as you open up yourself to more and more of God's word. As you open yourself up to more of his word, you are transformed. You learn his will by learning his word. You understand his character by understanding his word. You embrace a transforming change as you embrace God's word. There is no substitute for spending time in God's word. We put, a, we, we put an insert in the bulletin for you today, a reading schedule. Now, let me encourage you. You know, some of you use the, the, our daily bread, and we have them out there, and that's a great thing. But let me remind you. At the beginning of the Our Daily Bread, it tells you a scripture passage to read. And some of you skip that and just read the little devotional thought. 
It's not the little devotional thought that God promised us would change our living and transform us. It is his word. At the beginning, and you know, the Advent devotionals we put out there, there were devotional thoughts, but at the beginning of them was a, was a passage to read. And I hope you read the passage because it's God's word that changes and transforms. So you have this little chart and it's divided up, you know, so you could get through the Bible in a year. Now, some of you, and at the beginning of the year, you know, some people are really gung-ho on this. We're going to do this and we're going to do it in a year. And by Tuesday, you're, oh, I'm so far behind. What am I going to do? Here's what I want to encourage you to do with this. You have it. Now stick it in your Bible. And then what you do is as you read these chapters, check it off. Just check it off. You know, it's Genesis 1 through 3. So as you read it, check it off. If you only read Genesis chapter 1, there's a little space behind there. Make yourself a note. Later, go back and read it. Here's, cause, here's what happens sometimes, too. We start reading in Genesis. Not bad. Not bad. You know, it, 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 it's kind of interesting. And then we get to, we get to Exodus and well, pretty good still. Pretty good. And we get to Leviticus and we say, are you kidding me? But I'll tell you, those parts we don't understand, God still has there for a reason. It's all there for a reason. Part of your challenge is to figure that out. But here's the thing. So when you're reading and you know what, you get bored in one book, switch to another one. Then all you got to do is check check off what you read and make it your goal to read it all. Now, here's the thing. If it takes you a year, great. Good for you. I'm happy. And, you know, and that's a good thing. Ralph's read it through a time or two. How many? Seventy-one, 71 times. Uh, pretty good. That's... The, Every year since he was one, he's done this. Yeah. But, but here's, the, here's the deal, you know, if it takes you two years, so what? Even if it takes you three years, okay, read through it. Keep this in your Bible. Check it off when you read that. You know, when you read that, I'd encourage you to jot down a little note, not on here. If you did it on here, it'd have to be a very little note. You know, but I, 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 it just works real well for me to jot down something, you know, that I get out of the passage I read every morning. It just, it just helps me. It works for me, you know, and helps me remember God's word better. Uh, so whatever it is that helps you, but just use this. You know, use it and, and check it off as you read. You know, because it's his word, it's his word that, that transform us. You are, you can best discern God's will by knowing God's word. That's where it's found. God's will for you is never going to go against God's word for you. Never. He will not guide you contrary to his word. If you know his word, then you will know his will. You say, well, what about this and what about that? The overwhelming majority of God's will is in his word. It's there. And it will guide you. And you'll know when you're getting into this situation. This is what God says, how I need to behave here. Bingo. You got his will. What do you know? You didn't have to wait for a letter. You didn't have to wait for, you know, a voice from heaven or any of that stuff. There it is. You already have that voice from heaven. It's in the Bible. You see, that's where you find, that's where you find his will. And you cannot stop at knowing God's word. You have to get into doing God's word. Not just knowing it, but actually doing it, living it. The goal is not to be conformed, but to be transformed. And that comes, he says, through the renewing of your mind. 
Renew your thinking by thinking in line with God. Think in line with God's character, in line with God's will, in line with God's being, and you'll find that in his word. You'll learn about his character, will, and being in his word. What we believe helps determine how we behave. You can't get away from that. These politicians that say, well, you know, I believe this, you know, my private life, but this is what I'm going to do, you know. No, no, you, you, I'm sorry, but, you know, you're full of pork and beans. You know, what you believe determines how you behave. It does. It does. And we need to translate our learning into living and show it by our daily lives, how we trust God, how we trust his word. Now, knowing God, you know, he's working in our lives. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, Paul gives us a little bit of a warning in verse 3. I'm not getting very far here, am I? Uh, For by the grace given me, I tell every one of you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. One One of the effects of God's grace in our life is that we need to cultivate humility. We need to cultivate humility here, realizing what God has done, what God, you know, what we have and what's done from God's grace, not our own ingenuity, but from God's grace, it should give us a more humble, more realistic attitude about ourselves. Paul words it this way in 1 Corinthians. He says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by God's grace. You see there, realizing what is done, realizing God's grace makes us humble. Uh, but by God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not ineffective. However, I worked more than any of them. Yet not I, but God's grace that is at work within me. You see, when we know, when we, when we know our gifts and talents are by God's grace, we use them for God's glory, not our own. So when we're talking about humility, it's having that realistic viewpoint of yourself, realizing not that you're, a, not that you're just, you know, a heap, of, a heap of slime or anything like that, but knowing that God has gifted you and God has granted you, but it's from God. And it's not because anything special about me. It's not because of anything special about us. It's because of God's grace at work. I know two men who used to perform in bars at nightclubs, not together. They were separately. You don't mind if I tell them one of them was you. Do, I, do you, Ralph? If you do, I won't. Uh, you know, we, we, but I know these, I know these two men, and again, you know, they didn't perform together. In fact, there are different generations here, but each of them, each of these guys came into relationship with Christ. And so what happened then is God transformed them, and now they use their, their, their talents. One of the things they do is using their musical talents to serve God. I used to want to be able to sing, to lead people, you know, to see God better through music. Yeah, I do. I've even mentioned to somebody this morning, nobody's gone home humming one of my sermons. They just haven't. You know, that's just not that. Did you hear what Pastor said? Ooh, yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's not what God has for me, though. And this is really what's addressed in verses 4 through 8. God has made us different, you know, and, and he, different from each other. And he's gifted us differently on purpose, intentionally, and with purpose. On and with purpose. He made us different for the purpose of being together, fitting together, to be one body, one unit. This is what he says here. One church properly functioning together. He uses the picture of a body. He says everyone should be working together. If you're not yet... I don't want to offend you, but here we go. If you're not, if you, if you are not yet working together as part of the body, then the role you are playing is that of excess fat. 
because we're all part of a body. Excess fat takes a toll on the body. It causes the rest of the body to have to work harder. What he tells us here in these verses are that we all have a role. We all have a place. We all have, we all have a way to serve that helps the body, that helps the church be healthy and to grow. This is what he's talking about when he's talking about these gifts. Now, none of us should be doing everything, but each of us should be doing something in serving God as part of the church. This is what he tells us here. The, the, the point is that each one of us should have a function to serve the body, not the body function to serve each one of us. Do you get that? We each have a function to serve the body, not the body function to serve us. He says, by the grace given to each of us, the gifts are, are determined, given, directed by God. He chose that I should not be the guy that sings, but other people should. You know, God has gifted you so that you can be part of the body. Our gifts and our roles are different and that's what God has intended. Serving, you know, using the gifts and talents God has given you and serving the church body is a result of a life transformed by God's grace. That's part of embracing transforming change. Transforming change. Now, I told you we were going we to read some more. So real quick, turn back to Romans 12. Because these verses, 9 through 21, to me, as I was looking at this, they just tell us what it looks like when we embrace transforming change. What it looks like when we, when we live as God has called us, when we live as God has gifted us, when we live as not being conformed by the world, but being transformed. As I read this, see if it doesn't speak to you. See if, it, if God isn't telling us what it looks like to live a transformed life. Verse 9. Love must be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath, for it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. This is the evidence of of what transformed living looks like in day-to-day life. Those verses right there give you a very good picture of transformed living in day-to-day life. This whole chapter points out attitudes, you know, that evidence a transformed life. The first couple of verses 
You see, there it's, it's our attitude toward God, and our attitude toward God is worshipful submission, that we submit ourselves to him. We give ourselves over to him. You know, that attitude toward God, that attitude toward, uh, toward ourselves, he says, is humility. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but it's humility. Our attitude toward others is love. This is what he lays out there for us. Here's what you need to understand. Realize you are, you are being molded. You are either being, you are either being conformed or transformed. You know, no matter how independent you think you are, the reality is that you are giving in to the pressure of this age, your friends, others around you, or you are surrendering to God. That's the reality. You know, we don't like to look at it this way, but guess what? Our dislike doesn't change the truth. You are being conformed or transformed. Be biblical. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by God. Choose to embrace transforming change through the grace of God. Let's pray together.